Welcome to the Power Your Life radio show with host and success doc, Joanne White. Author, speaker, certified coach, and energy master, Doc White gets to the heart of what matters most. She features guests and experts to help you consciously create more success, health, and wellness in every area of your life, work, and relationships. They'll share their success stories, wisdom, and know-how to help you shine more light onto your day and into your life. Power your life right now. Here's Joanne White. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining Power Your Life. I'm Dr. Joanne White, and I just want to send to everybody in the world, to people in Puerto Rico, to people who have had challenges with the earthquakes and the hurricanes, and to all the wonderful first responders and people who are helping and have helped, just want to send them beautiful, loving thoughts and appreciation and support wherever you are and whatever you need. Know that you're not alone, which I believe is really important. Speaking of not being alone, this is a time, I believe, on our planet and in our lives that many people are going through lots of different challenges, whether it's about their relationships or their finances or you know their purpose or what they're supposed to be doing or or. Whatever it is, and many people feel challenged and they wonder, well, who do I turn to? Where do I get the help that I need? And I think that's important because oftentimes we need support and we need help from someone else. And you know what? It's not a weakness. I think it's really a strength. It's not a weakness to get the help and to ask for the help you need. So speaking of that, I have someone that I adore, and her name is Colleen Bridget Fitzpatrick, and she's talking about counseling beyond talk therapy. Colleen Fitzpatrick is a licensed clinical social worker with 20-plus years of experience in helping others help themselves. She's held several positions in the fields of education, psychology, and business. Her creativity and her out-of-the-box thinking help find insight that leads to solutions. Colleen's practice has a large span of services designed to meet the unique needs of her clients. She successfully helped children meet developmental milestones through her use of music. School-age issues such as social and learning difficulties can be managed through developing skills that help to adapt and with Colleen's assistance, the children can emphasize their strengths. Colleen has helped many clients overcome the most difficulties of circumstances, giving them the confidence to move on and to reach for their dreams. And she says, what's most important is the therapeutic relationship and how it can transform clients. Colleen delivers high-quality services that may vary from intensive therapy to coaching and what's essential to Colleen's service is that she comes from a holistic perspective and integrates hypnotherapy, creative arts therapy, and solution-oriented approaches. Welcome, Colleen. How are you? Wonderful. How are you? I'm doing great. So, you're, you know, you're, <clears throat> the name of what you do, it's called Instrumental Change. That's the name of your company. And it's I love the title. I think it's fascinating. But where did it come from? How did you how did you figure that out? 
I firmly believe that clients have the ability to change and that I'm just a guide. So from, from my love of music and part of what I do is I utilize music, you're using yourself as an instrument to change. You are making yourself the instrumental change. So it's really a play on words. Well, it's true. You know, we all have the capacity to change and to grow and to be, like you said, to really live what we our purpose and, and live through our dreams and really realize them and make them come alive. So um, I don't want you to give out any names or, or anything, but can you share a story about someone you work with, maybe a child, that has helped that child move forward in his or her life? Sure, sure. So I work, the youngest child I've worked with is three. Um, and, you know, right up to the teenage years, of course, I work with adults and older adults. But um, I think there's a lot of struggling that goes on with children, sometimes from a young age, like three, four, five, whether it be developmental issues, behavioral issues. Um, there's many, many circumstances that stick out in my mind. Um, my first one that comes to my mind is um, a child that I helped that was four was having a problem regulating emotions. Um as you know, someone that young developmentally has problems in terms of impulse control. Hey, we all do, but especially when you're young. Um, so I used different instruments in my office to help him. Um, a concrete example of that would be learning how to play loud and then down to a soft, soft beat on the drums. And I actually... His last session, I had him take home a drum so the parents could practice it because I am a huge believer when you're working with clients, especially clients that have developmental issues or behavioral issues that are four, five, six years old, you really need to have a multi-system approach and involve the parents and educate them and show them things to practice because they only come to me once or twice a week. So there's many other hours in the day, many other days in the week when you could be practicing these things. You know, I think that's so important to really get the parents involved too because then then parents are also learning and they're growing and they're also learning how to interact with their, their child and also how to help their children succeed. You know, we all have emotional, all, not, I won't say emotional problems, but many of us have difficulties expressing our emotions, or even some people have difficulty being able to access or or realize what they're what they're experiencing or what they're feeling at a particular time. How can you help an adult with some of those issues? That's an interesting question, and it depends on the person and what they're presenting with. Sometimes when a client calls me, what their presenting problem is. And what the real issue is are two different things because they're not educated enough to the symptoms. For example, someone who is very angry and irritated all the time may not realize that's a symptom of depression. That's just not an angry or irritable person. That is 
sign of depression. So really helping them tease out what's going on in their lives and how it's related to how they feel emotionally. You know, it's it's so important that they are able to identify, like you said. So, so like for anger, that 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 there's really something else underneath it that that may be festering that they're not paying attention to, like you said, depression, which I think is so important because not everyone has a handle on it. What right, does it right. mean? Go ahead. I said, and it's asking those insightful questions and sometimes doing out-of-the-box things. One of my favorite things, I have a very unique office filled with every character you could ever imagine, whether it be Batman or a Ninja Turtle or Snow White. Um, And I have them look and I have them see, you know, who do you feel like right now and who do you want to be in the future? Because it's very telling who people pick out. Right? If they're not do feeling adults, good about themselves, they're not going to pick out Superman. Do adults pick those out too, or is it just for children? Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's something fun and different. Once again, counseling beyond talk therapy because sometimes people need that extra step. They need that extra step. Words can be too threatening and too vulnerable. You know, I'm with you because I also do coaching and counseling, and I think that it, it's so important to be able, like you said, out-of-the-box thinking. It's so important to be able to figure out where that person is, which you do so beautifully, and be able to utilize many different tools, which you have and you, you know, you've trained in and you utilize to help people. And like you said, Colleen, sometimes talk therapy can be threatening, but it sometimes, but it, it also may not really get to the root, as well as utilizing that in addition to some other kinds of things that you do. That you do. So, tell us a little bit about um, what else you do, like hypnosis and music. You mentioned a little bit of music therapy, but how else does it? How does that work with adults, or does it? It, it does work with adults. It depends on what the person's need is and what they're open to. I find a lot of times clients come in here and they've been through lots of therapists and they say, you know, the the talking wasn't working. So we do other things. I also do sand tray therapy. I have a huge sandbox and people, once again, it's very telling the way people place things, objects. For example, if I'm working with an adult and I say, you know, Pick out who's who's yourself and then who your kids. The way people place things in the sandbox, how close they are, how far away they are, whether objects are around them, is very telling to relationships for me. And that could really be a great launching pad for a conversation when the time is appropriate. So when they're placing those objects, those people, let's say, that you're talking about in, in the sandbox, that it's not just haphazard there's something about the emotionality behind it you're saying that that's that's revealing right. absolutely 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 um also you know when i use music and i ask i have many instruments in here when i tell somebody to pick something out i can tell the manner in which they're playing how they're feeling that day um, believe me, I have a lot of people come here and they beat on the drums <laughs> and you know that tells me that they're struggling a little right 
right? Um, so I do that. Um, a lot of journaling. We do a lot of collages. Different things that can be absolutely so revealing. It's it's really really amazing the power of nonverbal communication. I have tons of puppets in here. It's amazing about how many adults come in here and they pick out a puppet without even me directing them. So let's say somebody picks something out, like a puppet or whatever, and it's revealing something about that person or what they're going through emotionally or their a relationship to, to someone close to them in their in their life. Do you point that out? I mean, are you just taking that information and processing it for yourself? Do you give them that level of awareness about what they're doing as well? <clears throat> Once again, that that's where the years of therapeutic training come in handy because we all know sometimes clients aren't ready to hear things. So it depends <laughs> on the person's situation. <laughs> so a lot of times I'll just take note of things that they're doing and then when the time is appropriate in the therapeutic relationship, I could bring it up. Remember when we did the sandbox and your husband was buried underneath the sand? <laughs> Sorry. How we that's okay. I'm known for my um, sense of um, Irish humor. So, you know, they have to be the place where they can hear it. You have to start where the person is. So that's why... You know, you just can't go randomly and use music or a sandbox or pictures or art because there's a lot behind that. And you're going to miss it unless you have the intense clinical training. So what does it, what does it take to be successful in, in, in therapy and to be a successful therapist that people say, wow, I want to work with her? The number one rule is that you need to find out who you're most compatible with and not take on, you know, 20 clients a day back to back. The therapeutic relationship is sacred, in my opinion. And down to it, it's your name out there. It's Colleen Bridget Fitzpatrick. And if I have matches that are good to me, then the outcome's going to be more positive. If it's someone who maybe can't appreciate the sense of humor I have or some of the different personality quirks I have, then it's not going to be a good match. That's the same for the client. You know, I've had so many clients come in here and tell me it's very sad that they've seen somebody for five, ten years, and they've gotten nowhere. As we all know, sometimes people can be helped at a short amount of time and sometimes it's a longer amount of time, but it all comes down to the relationship between the therapist and the client. I don't care how much training you have in cognitive behavioral therapy or any any other type of therapy because it's all about the person that's doing it, not really the technique. What do you find is most challenging in working with adults and, and or children, or both, really? I think giving them a sense of hope. Because, like you said in the beginning of the show, there have been so many things that have gone on in this world. Kids are going to school with hardly any sleep because maybe the neighborhood they live in is not so good and they're hearing gunshots at night. Um, you know, we don't know where people are coming from. You know, they come to this office one or two times a week, but 
I don't know the environment they're going back to. So I need to help them build skills that they can use in any type of situation, whether it be at home, the workplace, or an adolescent girl struggling with their frenemies, right? Um, People they think are our friends, and that gets confusing because they do things that are very mean to other girls. So I'm not going to be there with them. So in this office, I need to give them the coping skills and the confidence that they need to handle those situations in an independent manner. What are, what are a couple of coping skills, Colleen, that are that are utilized and useful to to you've talked about adolescents and tweens and teens to to let's let's go with that population for a minute. What helps them okay. during those times? I think it all comes down to feeling good about who you are. Build that ability to be resilient. So one thing that I really very much emphasize is having them be involved in something. There's nothing more frustrating when somebody comes in here and, you know, what do you like to do? I don't know what I like to do. You know, teen and adolescent time is a time to discover, you know, some kids do gymnastics, some do hockey, some do art classes. They have to find something that gives them a voice, right? And that can be their coping skill. You know, that's that's so important and, and that's wonderful. And what comes to mind is, is, and I'm sure you've had a situation like this, whereby a child or, or a teen comes in and, and has very specific ideas of what he or she wants to do and interests, and yet the parent or parents are moving them in a particular direction that may not be as interesting and and appropriate for that child. What do you do in that situation? Well, I I remember the situation when I was younger because there were things that I wanted to do and my parents thought, well, maybe that's not such a good idea. And I became so frustrated because nobody sat down and explained to them, this is why Colleen wants to do this. So I think it's a balance. You know, when you're working with a child, an adolescent, the family component so critical because you're trying to create that balance in the family. I can sit here and help somebody with all the coping skills that they want, help them build them up, but if they're going back to a family that doesn't understand their specific wants and needs, it's not going to do any good. So that's why the family aspect is so important, to find a balance and to negotiate right, what somebody wants. You know that that's a great word, negotiate, because oftentimes it it is that, and sometimes I'm sure you have to sit a parent down, and and give them an idea of really, because some parents don't even know their kids, unfortunately, and give them an idea of what what a child, and and it's confidential, so you can't really share a lot, but where that child is is going, and and what he or she needs. You do, you've done something that I find fascinating that um, I don't know if our listeners are aware of it. It's something called discernment counseling. Can you describe that to, to our listeners? Sure. Sure. Discernment counseling, actually, it's fascinating, fascinating. Um, it differs from any other type of counseling, and it's not really counseling. It's more or less a plan, a plan for a couple who is 
been together for a long time, living together, married, whatever the relationship is, and deciding where it's going. I think a lot of times people, quote-unquote, jump into marital counseling when they need to make decisions before that. Discernment counseling is not helping solve, not moving forward, not treating. We are talking about where do you want to go from here? The clarity, discernment means to make a good decision, clarity. And there are specific questions I ask, like what do you think will happen if you get divorced? What do you think will be affected by this decision? How will your children be affected? What would a plan be? Because a lot of times I think people jump into this and the emotions get haywire. So you also, you need to look closely at how partners are reacting. There's the concept of leaning in and leaning out. Leaning in means they're really wanting that relationship. Leaning out means you're not interested anymore. So during that time, those few sessions, we decide what path you're going to take, whether it be go to therapy, perhaps see a divorce attorney or a mediator. And you're doing this with with both people together, or or different, or separately, or or how does that work? It, it, together, and then sometimes we'll meet separately because it's very imperative to know who is leaning in and who is leaning out. I think at different times in a relationship, it's natural for people to be leaning in and very interested, and then sometimes one part of the relationship is leaning out and not so interested because of whatever. It may be stress, it may be death in the family, but it's so important to clarify before you get into the emotionality of issues. You know, um, Emotionality of this—that's great because relationships are incredibly complicated, and in my opinion, oh, everything my is a—you know—everything is a relationship. So we talked about helping families with, you know, helping couples in a relationship. You mentioned workplace relationships and and work, you know, workplace wellness. Tell us about that because I think now that there has, there is, and has been recently a tremendous shift in companies and organizations to take a look at what's going on with their employees, how to help them so that it actually can can increase their productivity, their their lesson absenteeism, whatever. So so what's involved in it and what do you do? How's it work? That's a great question, Joanne. So let's start historically. Historically, I think, you know, I remember some of the first jobs that I had, and it was, you know, you get a job, you sign up for your benefits, um, and then really you're kind of left to do your job. And I would, I would dare to say about 75 80% of the time, it's never the job. It's always the interactions with other human beings right, when you're trying to get your job done. So that's why it is imperative. We look at this from a positive point of view, not a punitive point of view. Um, You know, managers have employees, but leaders have followers, correct? 
Mm-hmm. Managers monitor people. Leaders inspire other people. You know, you need to be more transformational instead of transactional. Um, communication is one of the keys. A lot of times we just assume um, when we hire someone that they have those communication skills. They may look great on paper, but let me tell you, unless you know the character of their personality, you may be setting yourself up for a huge disaster. And that's why it's so important to have good personality matches on teams. So when you go into a company or an organization or a business, how do you help the team grow and relate to one another? What's, what's the, is there a magical component to it, or what, what, what's involved? I guess that's a great question. One of the magical components is starting at the top and getting people to believe in it and having them interact as well, too. Um, I find there's nothing more um, discouraging than putting something on the table and then it not being activated. And I think everybody needs to participate. You know, how much do we know about Joe, the CEO? Well, we know he drives this kind of car. We know he gets there 10 minutes before the employees. We know he stays till 8 or 9 at night. But we don't know those little intricacies about his personality, right? It's so critically important that we know those things. So how do you get to know that? That I mean, oftentimes we're not talking about their personal lives. We're talking about their, their personalities. How, how do you get to that level of disclosure with, with that, especially with the CEO or, or managers? Right, right. And, we, and the main thing we have to remember, too, this is not um, – we're not going about this from a therapeutic approach. This is not – when you do work wellness, this is not about diagnosing someone and looking at their behaviors and labeling them. This is positive. How can we all get along together? Everybody, of course, has an interest that you get a job, you apply for a job, it's something in your field you really are interested in, but – what if you find out you're not getting the leadership that you need from your boss? How do you go about that in a delicate manner and doing it in a timely manner so it doesn't all explode after six months and saying, well, you never told me this. You never told me that. So it's starting from the get-go. It's having consistency of having programs you know, every other week, once a month, where we all sit down in a positive manner and look at communication skills. Um, there's excellent examples out there. I remember when I was in graduate school, one of the things we used to do is the teacher used to bring in actually different movies and different shows and look at people's communication style. So <laughs> it's doing those out-of-the-box things and finding out. I remember graphically when I was in graduate school in the 90s, records, somebody had brought in um, – all in the family, and we looked at, you know, Mr. Bunker's style, which was not appropriate, right? Right. You know, I don't think I've ever had that challenge of somebody on that extreme, but it's a good example of how we are all so different, right? And that job is so important. That's how we make our living. You know, there are certain quirks about people. People that know me well know I'm not a morning person. I'm not doing any work at 9, 10, or even 11. I start my day at 12 or 1, I go until 8 or 9 at night. Therefore, it would not be a good fit for me to get a job that started at 8 o'clock in the morning. That's just not happening, right? 
So what if I found a job that I really, really wanted, right, and they thought it was a good match? Well, why not negotiate? Have me come in from 10 to 6, right? So it's also looking at the structure of the workplace and listen, isn't it worth making and negotiating those types of things if you can have a better outcome with more productivity, less absenteeism, if you make those little, little changes for people, like letting them work remotely or coming in later. You know, I think that's so important. And, again, I think it also goes back to something that we talked about earlier, Colleen, and that is people need to know, like you know, you're not a morning person. I know that I love to work early in the morning when no one's around, and but I also work at, late at night sometimes because I like the quiet. What if a, an employee doesn't have a handle on himself or herself and really know? Because a lot of people don't know who they are, unfortunately. How do they then... How are they then able to negotiate or to communicate their needs when they're not even aware of them themselves? Right. So that's why you really need to have an intense, shall we call it, a discovery process. From the gate going, you know, don't wait for six to eight months after somebody's hired. We find out these things beforehand. That way we're nipping it in the bud. We're talking to people about those critical things to me and people may laugh but that's a huge thing for me if somebody invites me to a meeting at seven in the morning people (laughs) look at me and they start laughing they know i'm not going to be there at seven in the morning it's so critically important you know what if you have someone that has all this training can do the job really well but they need more independence you talk to them before you know Part of the language, you sign the name on the dotted line. You say, you know, what would work best for you? You have all these great skills that we want. I think it's that human part is so neglected in the workplace. And if you think about it, we spend like eight to ten hours a day at work, right? Five days a week. I remember one time, 10, 15 years ago, interviewing for a job, the man saying to me, you can work at least 40 hours a week. And me saying back to him, so when did the work week you know that's so important what got you into this to begin with what what, was there a fascination was there a personal need was there you know a personal story that that had you Colleen decide that you know I want to help people in this particular way and therefore you you've studied it and gone to school for it trained in it etc um, I've been influenced by many things. Uh, one, as I kidded around about in another interview with my overextended adolescence when I was probably not as mature as other young people. Um, another thing is I talked before about I love art, I love music, I love movies. One of the most pivotal moments in my life is when I saw the movie Ordinary People. And whether you remember that or not, Joanne, but it's about a family that goes through a tragedy. And there's a psychologist played by Judd Hirsch. Hmm. And the relationship that he creates with this young boy is absolutely fascinating. In the midst of this horrible family tragedy where 
Mary Tyler Moore plays the mother, is dealing with it in one way. She's in denial. She's yelling. She's snapping at people. And Donald Sutherland, who plays the father, very quiet. And then poor Conrad lost his beloved older brother, whom the family mm. adored. How it affected him and how he internalized. He became so depressed. He became so suicidal. But how Judd Hirsch's character turns this kid around. Mm, I'm getting it's chills on that. Yeah. Do you remember that movie? No, but I'm getting chills just hearing <laughs> hearing you describe right. it because that's my my students that I've had from Rutgers know that I show that at least four to six times um, during their internship because there's always something different. Once again, it gets back to the symbolism, whether it be music, whether it be art, whether it be the sandbox. There's one pivotal pivotal point in that movie. The movie's directed by Robert Redford. Every move is so well thought out and so much symbolism. The older brother had died, and Mary Tyler Moore plays the mother, goes to set the dinner table, and she sets it for four people instead of three, Uh. which Mm. is beyond symbolic. I always tease my students. So what do you see different? What do you see different? What do you see different? Because that movie is just chock full of symbolism. In every aspect, it's not only the words, it's the behaviors. So that's probably... Well, you know, that's so important what you just said, because in in our lives, it's not just what we're saying to people. It's also, like you said, our, our body language, if we're leaning in or leaning back or away or our arms are crossed or, you know, across our chest or... Or, I mean, those are very meaningful. But also how we react to people, respond to people, initiate relationships, dialogue, communication, all that is so incredibly telling. When you work with people, let's talk about adults a little bit, what do you find to be the most difficult aspect of communication, let's say between males and females? Up between males and females, okay. Um, it depends. Is it a father and daughter? Is it a um, man and his sister? Um, it depends on the relationship. Right. So, so, so we're, just we're pick talking a couple. About a, a, a man and a woman in a long-term relationship, marriage. It's talking okay. about those difficulties instead of burying them, right, if there were conflicts. You know, I think a lot of times trained to say, mm-hmm, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear. But underneath of it all, it's not a yes, dear. It's like, I don't want to do this, but you know what? I'm just giving you that lip service so you'll shut up and leave me alone. Eventually, Along those yes, lines, I once so worked long. with a man who confessed, I don't know if I've ever told you this, Colleen, who confessed that when his wife was yelling at him or blaming him or going on with her tirade about what he didn't do or whatever, he said he turned he turned his hearing aid off so he couldn't hear her. <laughs> I mean, wow. that was a little bit extreme, but that definitely got the point across because, for what you said because he just did not want to hear whatever she was spewing about him and what he did not or could not do. Right, right. 
So maybe between a brother and a sister, maybe there's some conflict of favoritism. And, you know, well, you got to do this when you were 10, and I wasn't able to do that. And, you know, 30 years later at Christmas dinner, you're bringing it up. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very, very fascinating how we hold on to those things, right? This is true, and I think females are the ones with those long memories. Remember when, when your parents were there and you told me, you know, whatever. So, yeah, and, right. and we can so, bring them up I call that, at the drop of right. a hat. And I refer, to, I refer to that as the filing cabinet. Women have <laughs> known for having huge filing cabinets that they go into. And one of the first things that I teach people is, you know what, it's the past. It's the past. Close that filing cabinet, let's lock the key, lock it and throw the key away because it does no good to bring up something that happened 15, 20 years ago. It certainly doesn't help the relationship, that's for sure. No. (laughs) So we're almost out of time. Tell our listeners, um, give them some kind of giveaway, something that you think is important for for people to think about in their lives, whether it's personal or familial or even business. What do you think is is really important to to leave our listeners with? Change your mind and you can change your life. Mm. Um, Change the channel of negativity. You know, when it comes down to it, life is not a dress rehearsal. You have one life, you know. And taking chances, I would say. You know, if there's something you really, really want to do, take a chance. Take more vacations. I've had so many people that have come in here that have not taken vacations in years. In years. That, and that's one of the first things I tell them. Take well, a vacation that, that's, and they look at me. You know, I take a instead of, I'm sorry? No, I was saying, yeah, people say, how can I? What? Yeah, that's that's important. Right, exactly. And a vacation, you know, doesn't have to be a uh, $8,000 trip to Italy. It can be a day off where you go for a walk in the park, where you listen to music, where you enjoy yourself, refuel yourself. That's so important. And people forget about that. They just... You know, I worked 80 hours this week. Well, you know, eventually your body will give out at you. So one of the things that I do, like I said, is I tell them to look at the good things. You know, rarely do I say, oh, well, let's let's look at that, that depression and go to the doctor and get some medication. There are so many other things you can do besides going on medication. Really well, I like I, I like the idea of really taking time for yourself, and it doesn't have to be, like you said, Colleen, it doesn't have to be expensive or weeks on end, just something, like like you said, even being in the park or whatever, something to do that can actually refuel you so that you get to your work or, or even your relationships with your spouse or your family or whatever and feel refreshed and rejuvenated. So thanks for that. That's really important. Tell people, Colleen, how they can get a hold of you, find out more about what you do, your website, and all of the wonderful stuff that you have for individuals, couples, businesses, and kids. Okay. So the name of my website is www.instrumentalchange.com. 
LLC.com. My email is instrumentalchanges with an S at gmail.com. And the phone number I can be reached on is 609 313 4341. Thank you. That's wonderful. Colleen, thanks so much for your wisdom, for being on Power Your Life today, and for all that you do to help people move through their lives and experience better lives and feel good about themselves and about all that they do. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. Have a blessed day, Colleen. You too as well. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Next week, we're shifting gears, and that's October 4th. We have Melissa Carter, who's going to be talking about inspiring and empowering women, so tune in. And if you've missed anything that Colleen Bridget Fitzpatrick talked about on this show, Power Your Life, you can actually listen to it on Blog Talk Radio. You can also go to my website, docwhite.org or drjoannwhite.com, find out more about me, about upcoming events, all sorts of things, and remember as Colleen was talking about today, that really you need to take charge of you, whatever that means. And so think about something today. It doesn't have to be something huge, but something today that you can do that allows you to feel that you are in control. There are so many things in our lives that we're not in control about. One little thing that allows you to feel empowered. Thanks so much for joining us, and have a blessed day wherever you are. You've been listening to the Power Your Life radio show with host and author, Dr. Joanne White. Listen often and spread the word about the upbeat show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire. Listen again and again and visit docwhite.org for more information and find out how Dr. Joanne can benefit you. Thank you for sharing your day with us and stay tuned for more exciting guests and events to come. 